So this is one of those mornings, if I'm honest, I just don't want to mess it up. That should probably be my approach every week, uh, but it's especially true this morning. When we plan our teaching calendar, there's a little bit of a rhythm to it over years. It's a blessing of having uh, three lead pastors that have all been here over a decade together. It allows us to have really a long uh, plan that we kind of cycle through year by year. And this is really a season in which we normally go back into the Old Testament. But instead of doing that this year, we chose to teach through the book of Hebrews and jump back into the Old Testament to see those connections to the Old Covenant. That we as a church might see how the dots connect between the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. That the Bible stories would begin to come together and make sense. And it would just give us a little bit uh, uh, better understanding of the flow of Scripture. I hope that is happening for you as we study through this great book. But today we get to make one of those connections. And it's when I'm really excited for you and for me to just stop and think about. For many of you, it won't be new. It'll be a refresher. But I hope in the refreshment of it, it is deep. It is meaningful. And it just brings you to a sense of awe and wonder about the greatness of our God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give us a short review and kind of set up the context. Uh, We're going to come out of that and we're just going to sing another song of praise. And then... Pastor Paul is going to teach and walk us through the Lord's Supper, but he's going to do so in light of the better covenant through Jesus' blood sacrifice that the author of Hebrews has been talking to us about. So let's jump right in. We're in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Now, even the first covenant, that's the old covenant, had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. Remember, that's You know, there were rules. Uh, There was limited access. Everyone couldn't go into the Holy of Holies, right? Verse 2, for a tent was prepared. The first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence, it is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, an Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it there were cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot speak now in detail. So the author calls attention, but also resists the urge to make The secondary thing, primary. The details are important outlines of the shadow, but they're not as important as the truth they picture. And so he goes on in verse 6 and says, These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing the ritual duties. This first section, the priests would continually go day after day, tending the lamps, burning incense, offering bread. Verse 7 But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood. We talked about that last week. If you missed last week, really important context for this week. I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. But what we understand is 
there is a blood sacrifice needed to approach the presence of God. Not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Verse 8, by this, this shadow, this typological picture of the atoning blood sacrifice of the high priest, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened, as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, that is, these Old Testament regulations, right? According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body, imposed until the time of reformation. In other words, the Old Covenant could not complete could not bring to an end, could not deliver rest, peace for the heart, for the conscience. Only kind of polish the outside, but inside, still sinful, still broken. But now there is a reformation, a refocusing through Jesus, the fulfillment of the old and the high priest of the new. We've been talking about this as we see the author of Hebrews' argument that just keeps building that the entire worship life of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, has been radically revealed and refocused onto Jesus himself. The full requirement of the law, the righteousness required to be reconciled to God. The redemptive work that was beyond our ability. All perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. And so last week we went through this section and we pulled out this big truth that the blood sacrifices of the first covenant could not perfect the worshiper. It was only a shadow. It couldn't redeem the heart. It was outward, limited. And as long as it is active, as long as it was active, we could not draw near to God. How then, how then can we be redeemed? Now, in Jesus, we have a better high priest through whom we have a better covenant Because he is a better sacrifice. Keep reading verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. So in other words, now in Jesus, access isn't through some earthly tabernacle or temple. No, rather it is through him. Through his blood sacrifice. Verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. 
For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will the blood of Jesus purify, it says, make clean, purge our conscience, our heart from dead works to serve the living God. Our big truth that we get to look at this week, Jesus' blood sacrifice of the new covenant perfects the worshiper. It does what the old covenant could not. And I want us to see it in three implications that we find right here in these final few verses. Three big ideas. First, Jesus' blood accesses God's holy presence. You see it in verse 12. He, Jesus, our eternal high priest, entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood. Jesus entered into God's presence, and he did so for us. The author is going to keep unpacking this point, and in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, how? By the blood of Jesus, he says, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. The curtain that once divided us, separated us from the presence of God is now open. There is access to the presence of God by the blood of Jesus. Before you and I, we did not belong. We were outsiders and we had no access to God. But now through the blood of Jesus, access is available. And church, hear this. Make sure you get this. Not as some lowly servant, which we would be grateful and indebted to be in the presence of God as the lowest of servants. But no, we enter as sons and daughters, adopted into the family of God, joint heirs with Jesus, his blood, his life, his access, now ours. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood sacrifice. You're worthy of our praise. Second big idea, Jesus' blood secures eternal redemption. Verse 12, he says, thus securing an eternal redemption. Because Jesus is God, because it's his blood, it is permanent, it's forever. What was was a shadow, it was just a picture, it was temporary atonement, but in Jesus there is eternal life because it is Jesus who is our intercessor, our high priest. It is his eternal holy blood. Our redemption is secure, it is permanent, it is fixed. 
It is everlasting. Why? Because Jesus, our sacrifice, is everlasting. And so we have eternal life, secure redemption because of the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. You are worthy of our praise. I'm going to ask the team to come on up and we're going to get one more big idea. We're going to sing. We're going to praise. We're going to come back and look at the Lord's Supper and we're going to remember and rejoice as we look back to this sacrifice. This third big idea, I want it to hit you. And so don't get distracted. Don't worry about notes. Don't worry about those things. Just consider the reality that Jesus' blood purifies, perfects the heart. Verse 13, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the, uh, for the purification of the flesh, verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify, that is perfect, our conscience, our heart, from dead works to serve the living God. See, if the old covenant temporarily atoned the outward, how much more will the blood of Christ perfect the heart? His righteousness, his holiness, overcomes our sin and it becomes ours see we are sinful it's so far past just a bad thing that we do here there in our heart we are desperately sick broken and left to ourselves hopeless we can polish up the outside and do a few things and make ourselves appear more righteous than we are but in our heart we are sinful and yet God loved us and he sent his only begotten son who shed his blood that through faith in him we might be ransomed redeemed We are saved not because of ourselves. We experience salvation and reconciliation because of Jesus. Because he laid down his life for us so that through faith, his life could be ours. Jesus' blood sacrifice of the new covenant perfects the worshiper. I think one of the most impactful moments of praise happened years ago, it was probably 20 years ago. And I was serving at a church and a family that was close to me experienced just a devastating loss. Their daughter went missing for a couple days. They searched for hope for their daughter and then they found her dead. 19, 20 years old. 
That was a hard weekend. And I remember that Sunday, that family mustered up the purpose to come to the gathering. To sing, to pray, to sit under the teaching of the word. We began to sing, and a lot of times like you do on a Sunday morning, the song was kind of upbeat in the beginning, and they just sat there. And the people around them were standing and singing. And by the time we got into the second song, I watched that dad reach over and grab the hand of his wife. Say he's worthy. And stand and sing praises to the Lord. I don't know what's going on in your life, and I don't know the pain that you experience and the brokenness of the sin that we live in. But I know this, apart from Jesus, there is nothing. But in him, there's life, there's hope because of his blood. What was unreachable is now accessible. What was limited is now secure. What was broken now is perfect. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 28 to his disciples, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And a chapter later, Matthew records in 2750, Jesus cried out again and with a loud voice, he yielded up his spirit. He died and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. When we take the Lord's Supper in a moment, we remember and we rejoice. We have a new covenant because of Jesus' blood sacrifice. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. You're worthy of our praise. Church, will you stand and will you sing?